You know, it's, it's really cool this morning to see all the different pieces and parts that have come together to make this gathering possible. One of the things that we hope you know every time you walk into this space as Generations Church is this isn't all skate. This is a place where we want to invite you to contribute and not just consume. And I think you saw some of that up here with some of the different faces. Maybe if you've been journeying with us for a while, you're like, hey, there's someone new up on stage speaking. Or we started this service with some scripture reading. And that the whole reason we do each and every thing that we do is simply, as Charity said there in our, our vision, Amen. is because of Jesus. Amen. It's because of Jesus that we are gathered here. It's because of Jesus that we believe everyone can participate in his kingdom. Each and every person has a gift and a skill set to be used, not just up here on stage, but as part of the family. One of the ways that I like to think of it is I grew up with a little bit larger family. And so around the holidays, it's times like these, you you prepare for family meals. And you get ready for that family meal, and you get there together, and you you had scheduled some things. Who's going to bring the, the green beans and the corn casserole? Who's going to make the meat? Who's going to make the dessert? But when you get there, and it's time to go, you... Who's going to set the table? Who's going to put the table sideways? And you just kind of make it happen. You don't necessarily work out all these details and all those pieces and all those parts. And the beautiful thing about a church that comes together weekly to gather is that while we may organize some pieces and we may prepare, but at the end of the day, we get to come together as one family who just contribute and use our gifts and our skill sets. So someone's setting out the forks, the plates, Someone's going to clean up and do the dishes, but we could all be in this together. And that's what I love about our church. And as we think about this as doing everything because of Jesus and participating in one family, this is a message that's sometimes communicated in our world. But it's not always communicated within those terms. I think of one guy that I just follow on social media that I watch periodically on YouTube. Some of you may know this person, may know this guy. His name is Gary Vee. And Gary Vee is kind of this business guru, this guy who's all about, you know, take responsibility, take ownership, and make stuff happen. And so you see him on social media talking about what it looks like to get stuff done. But what's interesting is at the beginning of each and every one of his videos... He asked this simple question. Don't you just want to be happy? Don't you just want to be happy? And the whole goal, his framework for what he's about to share and what he's about to do, and whether it's explaining for how he goes out and he he picks up baseball cards from garage sales and sells them on eBay to, to make money, or it's this next social media push, or it's next this, uh, just this mindset of take responsibility, make it happen, you can be better, you can have a better life. And the goal is simply, well, don't you just want to be happy? And well, Gary Vee says it and asks those questions, there are other people out there, maybe it's your, your Tony Robbins or uh, Lars Larson or, or there's, there's Charlemagne the God or there's even Joe Osteen or, or even... Uh, uh, 
or, uh, or Kanye now is, is what's happened is you have all these people who, who post stuff, whether it's on social media or listen to on the radio, and they usually have this slogan or this key phrase that begins to shape us and disciples. And what happens is that message heard over and over and over again begins to cultivate a way of thinking or an approach to life that isn't always completely lined up with the way of Jesus. And the reason I use Gary Vee as that explicit example is because right now, a recent study came out that says 84% of Americans believe enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. And 86% of Americans say you've got to pursue the things you desire most. So to sum it up, in case that wasn't clear enough, <laughs> most Americans believe the purpose of life is enjoyment that comes from looking both deep within you and to find your true self while pursuing whatever brings you happiness. And we chase happiness because we feel part of us is missing. Whether it's status or a level of satisfaction or, or we go to just, we got to complete our self. And we could sum those three little S's up as the search for significance. A longing to transcend our earthly existence. To make something of ourselves and of this world. Whether it's to provide for security. That, that significance. And that longing isn't necessarily wrong. That longing is from God. We were made to be connected with a transcendent creator. And we are significant because of the God whose image we bear. And that's what this series has been about. Is the unknowable, invisible God has become known and available to us in Jesus Christ. And so this longing that we have, this desire for whether it's transcendence, that we try to fill with gaining more status, gaining more power, fulfilling it with stuff or the right things, the success in whatever realm we find ourselves in, we try to fill it with these things when ultimately the thing we are supposed to fill it with is not a thing at all, but it is a person. That person is Jesus. And so we listen to people. And as they share a worldview or a philosophy of life, they try to give us tools and a framework that promises happiness. Now, God has woven wisdom into the fabric of creation. And so they might not always be that far off. But anything built without Christ at the center is ultimately falls apart. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the centrality of Christ. And when he is at the center, we truly know God and we know ourselves. And this passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 is designed to counter some false promises. And so these false promises come from these Colossian false teachers in the first century that Paul has heard about and he is writing and saying, listen, when Christ is the center and we understand and we begin to say this hymn over and over and over again, this is what will shape us, not the false empty promises of these teachers. Yeah. And what these Colossian teachers were inviting the Christians in Colossae to do 
was that they could experience their true fullness by following their philosophy, their rule of life, to which Paul responds, the fullness, the happiness that you seek is found in Christ. And so, it's funny, th this week, I was sitting over at Starbucks like I do several times a week, and I sit at a table with a group of guys and ladies, and we just talk about all kinds of things. Life, politics, work, sports. And they're always talking, you know, what, where they read, what they saw, what they've done. And as, as they talk and they share different things, and they, they talk about people they've listened to. Oh, have you heard this? Or have you heard about this? Or, you know, this this, this politician or even Gary Vee, did you hear what he said recently on his YouTube video? And what was funny is this past week, one of the ladies, her name is her name is Lori, and she was talking about Tuba Christmas. And what was funny is for her, when she shows up to Tuba Christmas, she says, I can just sit back and go, man, these are my people. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> these, these, these are the people that, that I connect with. These are the people that when I'm around, I feel a sense of fulfillment. But what's funny is as I talk to her, and she goes, you know, I only get that, you know, once, once a year. And what happens is I don't think Lori's, like, expectation or perspective is unique. We all chase certain aspects in our lives that go, man, to go, this is what life is about. This is what makes me happy. This is what makes me fulfilled. And so what we do is we chase after these experiences because, again, we're trying to fulfill a longing of our heart that can ultimately not be fulfilled. Except for in Jesus. And so how does God become known? He steps into the person of Jesus. And that's what verse 19 in our passage is about. Caleb, let's, let's bring that up here. Let's, let's get verse 19 up here. It says, the fullness has been put, for, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. See, everything that was God or is God gets put into Jesus. And now that seems like a very complex thought because if God is all-knowing, if he is all-powerful, if he is all-good, how does that all-knowing, transcendent, invisible God become manifest in the person of Jesus? And I think there's a lot of imperfect analogies, but I'm going to try one here this morning. As I think of the ocean, the ocean is massive, it's big, it's got this makeup, it's salt water, and it's pretty vast and it's pretty, we haven't explored all the depths and the things. But what we see in Jesus is like going to the ocean and taking like a five-gallon bucket and scooping up some of that salt water. And when we start to study that salt water that's in that bucket, we see all the chemical properties, and we go, this is ocean water. This is what it is, but it's limited and confined. And that's what we see in Jesus. As we see the vastness of God, the unknowable God, it becomes bound, contained in humanity for a time. And God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell within Jesus. And so what God did for a time is all his glory, all his majesty becomes manifest in Jesus. And Jesus 
is present on this earth so that God could dwell among us and show us what it looks like to be truly human. So that we could both know God and know what humanity was supposed to be like. And so because God has chosen to dwell within Christ, when we are found in Christ, we actually find ourselves complete. Does anyone, does it drive anyone crazy? Like if you're if you're doing like a puzzle and you can't find that last piece. Like, and it's like, man, there's just one thing missing. You're trying to put it together and you're trying to trying to get it all right and it's just, it's like, okay, where's that piece? Especially with three kids, when I put puzzles, when I put puzzles together, it's like, okay, did it end up on the floor? Did they take it? And, and, you're, and you're trying to put it together. And what I love about Jesus is he is the picture on the puzzle box that we're looking to, to see our life put together rightly. Amen. But he's also <coughs> the missing piece of our puzzle, of our own life. That when it is fulfilled, when we insert him into our life, he brings completion. So, in typical New Testament emphasis, what Paul is saying here in this hymn, by God's fullness dwelling within Jesus, is he's saying, commonly, the glory of God, everything that God is, was once dwelt in the temple. And everyone had to travel to this place to see and experience God's goodness. And now God's goodness has gone from a place being the temple to a person of Jesus. And the great hope is that as we place our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and dwell within us and makes himself manifest through a people. See, God took up residence on this earth so he could be known. And others can know him. And what is important is that we're all that, that can be known in Jesus. All that can be found in him. We can see in Jesus. And this is this what this holiday season all about being Christmas is being present. Because we talk about giving presents a lot in around Christmas and giving gifts to others, but we celebrate Christmas. Because God has become present with us in Jesus through the incarnation. And so when it says that he had all of his fullness dwell with him, we're to take our actions and our mindset from Jesus, to follow after him. So that we should make God's presence known to those around us. And simply dwell with them. So here, here's what that looks like. Chances are you're going to have some dinners coming up. You're going to have some holiday parties. You're going to do some things with some family. And your temptation, because I know this is mine as well, is going to be to escape. Because you're not going to want to face the awkwardness of striking up a new conversation with someone. Or maybe there's been some relational breakdown, and you're not sure you want to spend time really talking to that person. But the God of heaven left all his splendor and all his glory and became human, fully God, fully human, and dwelt among us. So if we are to follow his example, as we go during this holiday season, my challenge to you is to take that same action and attitude that Jesus did and to be present with others. 
And so here's what this looks like. When you're sitting at that kitchen table, or when you're sitting on that couch, or when you're at some Christmas party, here's the question that I simply want you to ask. How are you? That's all you have to ask to these other people in your life. How are you? And chances are, because you are like them, and are like me, and our immediate response, some of us did it this morning, how are you? I'm fine. I'm good. You know, I'm blessed. Or, you know, yeah, you know, I'm living the dream. Or, and what happens is we give these canned responses. Well, inside, things aren't always as fine as they may seem. Come on. And, you know, and, and, and so we, we've got some things going on. We've got some things going on through our head. And what we do is we give these canned responses because we're not sure that maybe the vulnerability that when someone asks us to that will be reciprocated. But here's the thing is Jesus came and dwelt among us. He became vulnerable. He subject himself to the difficulties of this life for you. And so maybe just during this holiday season, you open yourself up a little bit. And when you ask, how are you, and someone gives you back that canned response, and then someone asks you, well, how are you doing? You exercise a little bit of faith and a little bit of character like Jesus, and you share something. Maybe it's something as simple as, well, this has been a difficult season. But as we're getting finding our way through it, you know, I'm really grateful for maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a church family. Maybe it's simply because of Jesus. I'm grateful. Or, yeah, it's it's been difficult, and I'm not sure, and I don't feel like I have all the answers. But I'm on a journey to get to know the guy who does. And maybe someone legitimately is good or fine. And you have the opportunity to celebrate with them, to encourage them, and say, what? ask them a second question. Man, what, what led to that? Where is that coming from? And I would even, maybe this is, a, this is another question you could ask, is what happens if that was taken away? Because that's what happens in this life, doesn't it? When we put our trust and our value and our identity and self-worth in things that are temporary, in a pursuit of status or satisfaction or a, a, a level of self-worth, that can always be taken away. But what can't be taken away is a hope that's rooted in Jesus. Amen. That because he came down and lived among us, and died for us on the cross and rose victoriously. And we have the hope of him making all things right again. That, that's what we cling to. And that's what we hold to. And that's why we celebrate. That's why Christmas is so amazing. It's because it's the initiation of Jesus subjecting himself to the things of this world. And to give us a taste an example of what will eventually be.
And that's what Paul does is in verse 20. He continues. And he says that he's going to make peace through his death on the cross. And as Paul's writing to this, that's, that's already happened. He reconciles all things to Christ, whether on heaven and or on earth. Christ is Lord of all. And even though this has been disrupted for a time, all things will one day come back into right relationship, what we were intended to have with him. And this language that Paul says, this, this make peace that Jesus does through his death, picks up on that widespread Old Testament prediction that in the last day, God would establish this universal shalom. And that's what we hope for. And I use that word shalom there. Because all that means is this peace, this happiness, this rightness. There's nothing missing. It is complete. So don't you just want to be happy? In the Old Testament, what they talk about is how you pursue this happiness, how you pursue this peace, is in connection with God. And eventually, one would come that would right all wrongs, would take all of creation that has suffered, and would restore it. And so what Paul wants them to know is that the people of Colossae do not need to fear the spiritual powers that were believed to be so determinative of one's destiny. They don't need to fear the upheaval, the turmoil, the strife and the stress of the outside world because it is through the cross that God has brought his entire rebellious creation back under the rule of his sovereign power through Jesus. Right. And on this side of the enlightenment, that talk of spiritual powers may seem a little strange. This idea of these spiritual forces and powers, and we're going to get into that probably a little bit after the new year. But however, while we may not fear spiritual powers, we do clamor after that illusion of control, the approval of others, a chase for power, a chase for success, the clamoring for pleasure, which all make false promises to the question, don't you just want to be happy? Don't you just want to be secure? Don't you just want to make a name for yourself? And there's never enough to satisfy our souls. And there's always going to be more and more. Which drives us to worry or distraction so that we can cope with the emptiness. And this peace that Jesus brings isn't simply the absence of conflict. But it's also the presence of something better. Life is complex, full of moving parts and pieces. And when anything is out of alignment, 
or missing, our completeness, our puzzle, breaks down. And here, what Paul gives us is the place in which peace was made. See, we don't make our own peace with God. It's Jesus that made a peace for us through his work on the cross. God reconciles us to himself. He brings people from different backgrounds and experiences and stories into one family. He restores the relationship between God and us. And so this making peace expresses a sense of adoption into and behaving like God's family. And so, if we are brought into God's family to a sense of completeness through our relationship with Jesus and the symbolism and our saying yes to Jesus in baptism, being complete in that way means we are to be people who bring a sense of completion or peace to the world around us. So it means we don't simply stop fighting with other people. It means we start working together. It means we, we go, we take a step beyond maybe what we're comfortable with to rebuild that relationship. Because we're called to be people that embody the exact fullness of God that was displayed in Jesus. It means we take it a step further. We create peace. We take what's broken and restore it to wholeness. Relationships, structures, systems, family, the emotional vandalism that sin causes. And that's what Paul's vision for the church is. is to be a beacon of light and hope that goes into the world and says, we know things aren't right. But we will be people that live out of our rightness and our completeness with God and seek to make things complete, to make things whole, to be a people of Jesus. See, because after all, the heart of the Christian faith is not simply the truth that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. It's that Jesus of Nazareth lived, died, and rose again for you. Which compels you and motivates you to live differently, to think differently in this world. So when people say, don't you just want to be happy and make others happy, you go back to the source of ultimate happiness, the source of completion. That is Jesus. And maybe you're a little skeptical about that this morning. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you're like, oh, I'm not so sure that it's brought me quite the completion that you're saying, the, the fullness that you've described. <coughs> and my encouragement it's simply this. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey. It's a little bit by little bit. We know there are ups and downs. We know, I said already said this morning, life is complex and full of moving parts and pieces. But what I can promise you is that if you try to chase something else 
to fill that void, it won't ever satisfy. Success, the right relationship, the right job, the perfect vacation, it'll never be enough. It'll never last. And it'll leave you longing for more. But Jesus lasts. And he made peace for us. So peace is available to us. I think a great way to close is a, a, a timely kind of American icon. The Phoenix, the Peanuts comic strip. Ran for 50 years and was penned daily by Charles Schultz. So Charlie Brown, Lucy, Linus, and Snoopy are definitely American icons. A Charlie Brown Christmas is a primetime television staple. And as the daily run of Peanuts neared its end in 1999, Shaw's returned to a theme that has been that had been frequent to the strip: snowmen. And as biographer David Michaelis points out, snowmen provided Shaw's with a way of nodding to the temporary nature of artistic achievement. If the kids built a snowman, they knew it wouldn't last. It was beautiful, but only for a moment, because the return of the sun would melt their artistic creation in water again. And the biographer wonders if this was a commentary on Shaw's view of his own artistic achievement. Would Shaw's comic strip last? Would readers a hundred years later take reading meeting Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus, would they get pleasure from meeting these characters from the Peanuts comic strip? Or would today's daily strip cease to exist as soon as the sun came out the next morning? And the final daily strip of Peanuts before 2000, Charles drew a single panel showing several of the characters on a snowy day throwing snow, snowballs at each other. Snoopy's in the quarter, corner pondering a snowball and the caption says suddenly that the dog realized that his dad had never taught him how to throw snowballs. After 50 years of drawing Snoopy and telling his imaginative tales, Shoal shrinks the beagle back down to reality and simply being kind of merely ordinary again. The dog faced the limits that all dogs faced. And when he wrote this particular strip, Shawls was faced with his own limitations. Cancer was breaking him down as he considered his retirement. He vacillated between feelings of despair and anger. And in his final television interview, a frail and feeble Shawls said, I never dreamed that this would happen to me. All of a sudden, it's gone. It's been taken away from me. I did not take this away from me. This was taken away from me. And here we see a broken man coming to grips with the end of his career. The end of a man who felt betrayed by God for taking away his health before he was ready to finish the strip on his own.
terms. The same guy who writes that beautiful Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus stands up and says, don't you know what Christmas is all about? Is the same guy who wrestles with his own mortality and his own feelings and emotions. And a fellow cartoonist and Fred Lynn Johnson wrote of Schultz in his last days, he had control over the peanut universe for 50 years, but he had no control over his own death. And he didn't accept it graciously. He wasn't ready. The biographer claims the strip had allowed him an illusion of eternity, of comics that had that would know no end. No story has ever finished by four blank white panels because that awaits the next installment. And when he finally felt the fantasy that was coming to an end, he discovered that he was a creature of time, ordinary. And all he had to do was realize that the map that he had built his life on that would bring him significance Felt as it was, felt as if it was a myth. As trying to grasp that fog, as if he could see it and he could almost grab it, but he could never quite get a hold of it. And Christians, believers in this room, there are people who are coming to terms with this reality in our lives, and maybe you're faced with this same reality in your own life. And you're trying to grasp at something that you want so desperately to be real and last, but just simply passes through your fingers because there's no substance. And what the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is, is that Christ gives us substance. Mm -hmm. It gives us something that we can hold on to. It gives us an ultimate identity. And when we place our faith in him, and we realize that faithfulness to him is our ultimate goal, that begins to last and shape our life. And the elusive things that we go and say, and I think that'll make me happy, when that starts to break down, and we begin to put Christ at the center, we realize that there is a sense of completeness. There is a sense of finality there. Because Christ lasts. Because however temporary things may be, when it's taken away, we feel lost, disoriented, as if maybe we are even nothing. But Christianity... The followership of Jesus, the devoting of our life to him, has a fresh message for the world that says Jesus is king, he is Lord, and he lasts. So in a world that's starved for a salvation through stuff and temporary means, we can cling to a salvation that doesn't come from mustering up our willpower, or making our mark on the world, but in recognizing our dependence on God and receiving the mark he made on the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why each and every week 
we take communion. And we invite people to say yes to Jesus in baptism. Because Jesus makes a mark on the world that lasts 2,000 years later and will last for eternity. And when your life is shaped with him at the center, you will able to be present with difficult people. You will be able to ask others, how are you? And have compassion on them. Because you want them to know the completeness that you are finding in Jesus.